You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 183. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today, you're going to find me in Boston leading a panel of women at the Massachusetts Conference for Women. I'm so excited to be there, and if anyone happens to be there, I hope that they spot me and say hello. And that kind of goes in general. If you ever see me out in the world, whether I'm in Europe or here in the States, please say hi if you see me. It would be awesome to be able to meet you and give you a hug. Today, I want to share that I'm going to change things up just a little bit and do the monthly questions episode today on a Thursday and then have a new shorter episode on a different subject next Tuesday. In the traditional sense, the Thursday lively shows are usually longer than the Tuesday ones, but these question episodes can get pretty lengthy. And the subject that I also want to share with you coming up is a bit of a shorter one. So I'm going to switch things up and we're going to dive right in today to the questions. Let's get started. First of all, we have Isabel.sf who said, I would love to hear about your time in Cape Town. What have you loved about it? How much time would you recommend a first time visitor to spend there? Well, first of all, I have definitely loved it. And I've recently shared in my November favorites episode, all the things specifically that I loved about Cape Town, but the question about how much time would you spend there? This is actually a really interesting question in regards to Cape Town specifically. Because I've been traveling for so long, there are so many places that I've spent several weeks at because I've loved them so much. But nowhere in the world so far have I met so many people from that city saying that the amount of time you have to stay there is not enough to do everything that is there to do. That's not even something in New York, which I guess you could probably spend a whole lifetime trying to do things in New York. But still, you know, no one says when you go to New York, oh, that's not enough time. You just kind of deal with whatever time frame you have and find things to do within that frame of vacation time that you have. But here in Cape Town, people are different. Here they say it is not enough time to do it in just a few days. I had come to spend five days originally here, and I thought that was plenty of time to spend here in Cape Town. But the truth is, as many people have told me from all different parts of Cape Town, that was not enough time, especially given how much I liked it. So I would say at least give yourself a week. Often, if you're coming from the States or Europe, the travel times can be quite lengthy as well. So for example, it is a 25-hour flight for me to get back to the States from Cape Town. So if you're going to travel all that way, I would definitely recommend giving yourself as much time as possible to explore Cape Town and the surrounding areas like Stellenbosch and the wine countries. And even if you want to go to other parts of the Cape as well, totally do so and give yourself plenty of time. So I would say as much as possible is the way to go on that. Susan Polden said, what's your stance or practice on New Year's resolutions? This is fascinating. And over the course of my personal growth, I think it's looked very different at different times in my life. Right now, I would say I have no idea what my practice for this coming New Year's will really be other than to probably reflect on the wonderful year that I've had so far. And then also to reflect on why I'm so committed to flow going forward in the future as well. So I've also done future letters to myself in the past. I've also, you know, obviously done values-based intentions, which are fantastic. But now that I'm super into flow, I think that's where my focus would be. Nothing necessarily super specific other than to reflect on the progress and the experiences I've had in the past year, and then find the flow in the present moment moving forward from day one of New Year's as well. 
Now we have Lisa Valinsky who said, I'd love to hear about the food and drink culture you've experienced in Cape Town. That is a great question. I would say that in terms of Cape Town specific types of food, the thing that I've noticed is biltong, which is a kind of dried barbecued meat. So that's the only thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about that seems extremely specific. I also had these things called Coke sisters, which I think are a derivative of a Danish dessert. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about the things that are Cape Tonian or very Cape Town specific. But in general, just the food scene here is fantastic. It is like a European city in so many ways. So there is wonderful food. If you use the app that I'm obsessed with called Foursquare when you're traveling, the reviews of places do not disappoint. So go to the places that are eight or above and you will have an excellent, excellent time no matter where you are in the world. And the same is true in Cape Town. It's a huge thriving drink and food scene here. So just like any European city that has a lot going for it, I would say it's pretty similar. Lots of cool restaurants, lots of cool menus and progressive tastings and and that kind of thing as well. Now we have Armed With Joy who said, Hi Jess, love these episodes. I always pick up a good thought to muddle over and think more about in relation to my own life. I know your work focuses on flow and tension moving forward, which are amazing things. I'm wondering what our thoughts are on ever looking back at choices and decisions we've made in the past as a part of helping to evaluate or take stock on where we are in the present, or what our past may be able to help our intuition learn as a means of moving forward and flow. I found myself thinking back to certain decisions and can't tell if this is a positive thing or not that may relate to moving forward in the future. This is a really interesting question. So let's kind of go back up to the top and kind of summarize it. So is it looking back useful to our intuition and flow? I would say reflecting on the decision that you made in the past and which source it came from. Did it come from your ego or did it come from your intuition? If it came from that reflection, I think is useful. And then seeing the results of that decision that you've made also useful focusing on other elements other than what energetic space was I in when I made the decision? How much was it coming from fear of the ego or love or present moment clarity from the intuition? And then what was the result of that action or decision? That I think is really useful because what it is hopefully going to prove, and I guess based on my own experience, I can say in my own life that it proves to me whenever I focus in that way and say, did I make this decision from love or fear or ego versus intuition? When I make a decision that's in alignment with my intuition, even if my ego is scared or unhappy about that decision, I can always look back and see the results or the outcomes of those choices are in alignment with what I truly want. And when I've made choices or decisions based on ego, often the outcomes are not nearly as positive. So that is useful, but I don't think analyzing anything other than was I in alignment with my intuition in the past is very useful because really what I've believe personally is that the more in alignment we are with our intuition in this moment, the better and more naturally and fluidly the flow will follow from there. So that's my big thought on that question. That's a really interesting one. Thank you for asking it. Now we have Amber Sandberg who said, how are you doing the podcast in all these different places? Do you just find the most quiet place in the house you're staying at? I know you're packing lightly, so do you bring your microphone with you? Keep posting pictures. I'm loving it. Well, I will keep posting pictures here on Instagram, Amber. Thank you for saying that. In terms of where I do the podcast in different places, I have done it in some weird places. I will tell you, I recorded a few episodes in California, in Healdsburg, in my best friend's closet, in the guest room, on top of a duvet. I just kind of do it wherever I can. 
right now, the place I'm in didn't have a closet for me to find a kind of softer, quieter space. So I am in the major, you know, big, sort of echoey and harsh sounding big living room. And when I have to do it that kind of way, I have to do it that kind of way. I don't try to overthink it. And yes, I did bring my microphone with me. It's the ATR 2100 microphone, and it has worked very well for me when I was in the States and here on the road as well. Now we have various underscore notes who said, what advice do you have for someone wanting to go with the flow for a one-week international trip without being overtaken by jet lag? Would you recommend giving in the urge to sleep in, or are there any strategies you use to become in tune with your location's time zone? Thank you. I love this question. I don't know that I'm the perfect person to answer it, though, as I'm actually speaking with you as I'm actually speaking with you though, it's kind of interesting because I'm about to take off on a 25-hour well, basically it's a 25-hour travel day, but it is including two different flights, a nine-hour flight to Dubai and then Dubai to Boston. So right now I'm going to have a very interesting set of jet lag that I'm going to be dealing with coming back to the States from Cape Town. But when it goes from London to America, I do know I kind of have a strategy. I try to sleep on the way to London so that I wake up refreshed and on their time zone. And then when I come back to the States, I try to stay awake on the flight so that I adjust to the time zone there. So I would say think about the place you're arriving at. And if you're going to do a 25-hour you know, kind of thing like I'm about to do, I don't know that I have enough experience there to give you much. But if you've got more of a direct flight, then I would say think about what makes sense for you to be alert or sleepy by the time that you get to that place so that you're as close as possible to their time zone. I don't know if that's the perfect way to do it. That's just probably my initial thoughts on that. So maybe someone else out there or maybe Googling might give you more tactical advice that might be a little bit more fully fleshed out than what I'm just sharing there. Now we have Everyday Beautiful Co. who said, love your Q&As. I know you're going with the flow, but do you still have to-do lists? And if so, how do you organize them? Other than FreshBooks, how do you keep your business organized? Also, how do you train and work with someone to answer emails, etc., while remaining true to your voice and brand? Do you use the virtual assistants? Okay, so these are a few different questions here. So we'll start one at a time. Do I still use to-do lists when I go with the flow? Yes, and it's just basically one to-do list of the things that I would like to do that kind of are anything related to personal or professional, and I just go about them that day given the flow and what feels right at the time in terms of my business and how I keep the business organized besides FreshBooks. FreshBooks is great for bookkeeping, but that's just obviously one small aspect of the business. When it comes to organizing the business, I have a team, and I think there's probably eight or nine of us now that are all specialized on the things that we actually focus on specifically. And then I have a manager in the team, one of the eight or nine people, who is in charge of making sure that everyone's very clear on their work and what's going on in the show, et cetera. So that person, VK, is fantastic. And she got us on board right when she got hired to use Slack to keep the team communication clear, and then Asana to keep our projects organized in terms of what deliverables need to get done, when, and that sort of thing. So that is my answer to that. And do I use a virtual assistant? I have actually a virtual manager. And then she herself, VK, has an assistant, Raven, who's amazing as well, who helps her with some of the aspects of the business that don't need to be 
within the manager's focus, but actually are on the assistant to the manager's focus. So that is definitely my tips in terms of delegation. I'd say find the things that you are best at. And then as you're able to hire people to do the things that are not what you're best at better than you can, when you can't, that is what I have definitely done with these eight to nine people. And it has been fantastic. If you're curious on what the heck other people are doing, we have a vlog editor. We have a podcast editor, producer. We have VK as our manager. We have Raven as VK's assistant. We have a COO, Tony, who helps me with the launch strategies and execution on Life with Intention and the other projects that we have coming up seasonally. And let's see, we have, we have someone that builds the website. We have graphic designer, Alana, who does the graphics for the company. So yeah, there's just a lot of different people that are specializing in what they do. Each of them is basically full-time at their core thing, but they usually work with multiple companies. So they're not full-time for me specifically, but they do this work and they do it at an excellent, excellent level. Next up, we have Trisha Hebron, who said, what programs do you use to organize your upcoming or current projects? A physical planner, spreadsheets, app suggestions, thank you. Well, this is a great follow-up. Like I said, the I don't use a physical planner other than the to-do list, which I typically have liked to either use the app to-do, T-E-A-U-X, D-E-A-U-X. That's my online to-do checklist. But then when it comes to physical, I do like a physical piece of paper. It could be a scrap piece of paper. Actually, recently I've been writing on the back of receipts since I I haven't had paper in my purse. So if I doing a to-do list, that's as simple as that gets. In terms of the organization more deeply, Slack to keep touch with my team. And then Asana is where we keep the to-dos that are maybe more project focused with multiple people working on the same project. So we're all on the same page. And actually I did just do a new secret project with another person and they had us use Basecamp for that. But that was because that company system was based on Basecamp. I think Asana and Slack, however, have been great for our team and Basecamp really wasn't necessary for us overall because we've already got the other two going. Now we have Sunshine and Glow who said, hi Jess, I have a travel related question. Next February, I'll be spending two weeks in Bali, the second part on a yoga retreat and the first exploring on my own. This is my first solo trip outside of Europe and one I've been looking forward to for a long time. I'm really excited and also a little bit apprehensive. What tips do you have for solo female travelers to be safe and less vulnerable when you're alone in a different country? Thank you so much, Inma. Okay, so when it comes to being safe and less vulnerable, Cape Town has definitely been the place that I've heard spoken about safety the most. And I have been fascinated by how many people I have come across through becoming friends or just even strangers, even Uber drivers, making sure that I am safe. And this is kind of going to sound a little out there, but my first thought is expect to be safe. Now that doesn't mean that <laughs> you're like, there's nothing could go wrong. It just means don't expect something to go wrong. Be alert and have the positive expectation that you'll be okay and that you're going to find people like I just shared that are going to also help you to be safe too. And I would say 99.9% .9 of people are incredible. Like I said, I even had an Uber driver where I was staying think that as he was dropping me off that someone maybe looked a little bit sketchy. And I didn't even think this myself, but he did think that. And so he got out of the car and walked around the side of the car to then walk me to my door. So 
even in that, I thought that was a little bit overkill in terms of the actual situation. So I'm not saying, oh my God, Cape Town's that dangerous, but that was something that happened. But it was amazing to see someone so concerned with making sure I was safe. And I've also had people I've met out at dinner walk me home from a fun night meeting them and all that kind of thing to make sure that I'm safe in my Airbnbs. So I would say ultimately going with your gut is the most important thing. If you trust someone in your gut, that is not something to let your ego say is wrong because often if your gut is saying they're safe, it's more likely that they're going to keep you safe. you know. And if your gut ultimately conversely says something's not right here, but you feel a little bit weird about the fact that you don't trust that person, I don't care. Just go with your gut. If your gut is telling you they're not trustworthy, don't trust them. If they are trustworthy, trust them. That's at least been my thing. And I have been having a wonderful time and I've had so many people make sure that I'm safe. It's not even funny. So I expect to be safe. I don't expect to have problems. I'm alert. I'm aware. And then I've face each situation given my intuition in terms of do I trust this person on a deep unconscious level that is going to tell me that something like stranger danger is a problem or not and I've been fine so that would be my suggestion it's not necessarily advice it's just how I've been operating and have had truly a fantastic experience so far now we have V Villar who said, hi Jess, I hope you're having a wonderful time in Cape Town. Your Instas look gorgeous. I have a question regarding your last few episodes with your experience at the Eckhart retreat and Byron Katie's interview. It seems like there has been an overarching theme of working towards a place in your life where there is no attachment to suffering. I am personally feeling conflicted because what I understand from psychology is that humans need to feel the full range of emotions to be functionally healthy human beings. What's your perspective on this subject? Can we exist as humans and not attach to our suffering? Doesn't our suffering work as a beacon to help us determine if we are not comfortable with things or if we need to work them through? Please help. I'm thoroughly confused. Thank you. Oh, this is so interesting. So psychology doesn't usually think about enlightenment or focusing on the eradication of suffering. That's typically things that things like Buddhism focus on more. So it's just kind of not the realm of psychology to probably ask them and try to solve the same question necessarily. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. These are just my initial thoughts off the top of my head about this question. But I can say that my perspective on the subject is... Avoiding emotion is not useful. Staying in negative emotion is also not useful. So the tools that Eckhart and Byron share help us to move through negative emotion faster, more effectively, and with less suffering. Neither of them is saying that you'll never have suffering. They both give you access to what to do if or when you experience it and also paths that don't create it in the first place. So that's kind of what you're going for is if you're fully in that state, would you deal with that? Well, psychology is usually not focusing on trying to fully get to that state. That said, I think if you're experiencing suffering in the present moment, that's fine and that's a valid experience. If you're not experiencing suffering in that moment, that's fine and that's a valid experience. So it's not bad if you don't experience it and it's not bad if you are experiencing it. Neither one is right or wrong. Byron and Eckhart have both two people who have found ways in their lives to remove themselves from a lot of that experience of suffering and I don't think that's wrong. But if you're experiencing it, I don't think it's wrong either. So <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't, I think that there's some wisdom in there. That was just me trying to listen to my intuition and answer it from a deeper level than what my thought process might have to share with you. But I think any experience is valid and any experience is not wrong. It doesn't mean we need to avoid it or expect suffering. 
if that makes sense. If we're having it, let's deal with it. And both of those people have wonderful tools to do that processing so we don't stay stuck in it or even assume that we have to have it or that it's good or bad. The judgments around it, which I think is kind of the ego is trying to say, is it good or bad, is probably less useful than just having complete empathy for our current experience. Now it's it's Mezzy B who said, I was just thinking of this yesterday and so glad I get to ask one. What's the one experience you miss from being home and what do you do to feel comfort in its place? For example, my husband and I thought a great idea was to travel for the Christmas, New Year's holidays for a honeymoon sometimes back. While we loved Paris in December, we found ourselves feeling homesick and missing family in the coziness of home. I have to admit, we visited McDonald's just one too many times and not just for the free Wi-Fi. It just felt familiar. So what do I do to feel home? So I kind of miss the comfort of having a cozy place in the evenings to nest. That's something that I don't have. So what I do to feel that comfort wherever I am is I have a simple white polar fleece blanket that I bring with me everywhere. And that has become this little cozy piece of my home that is my home wherever I am. And I also have been staying in Airbnbs that are cute and decorated in ways that I theoretically, if I lived in that place, may decorate myself. So I feel like the places themselves are not necessarily hotels or feeling very cold or distant. They're all very cozy, warm places. I bring my little blanket into that space and that becomes my home. I also like to unpack all of my food and some of my possessions too out of the suitcase if I'm staying for like a week, for example and create these little routines. I kind of set up my home wherever I am. So unpacking, having the blanket, and then staying in Airbnbs are probably how I deal with that. But ultimately, it's about finding alignment with your intuition. And if you feel that way, then it's easier to be you know, peaceful about what you're at. I'm not saying that you didn't have alignment with your holiday season, but the holiday season especially is a really extreme time to not be around the familiar things if that's what you're used to. I've probably been traveling so long since way before the holidays that right now the holidays aren't as big of a a thing in my mind. And I'm also staying right now in the Southern Hemisphere, which is, or have been staying in the Southern Hemisphere, which is super warm. So I honestly don't even feel like it is the holidays right now. In my head, it feels much more like it's still June and the holidays are about six or seven months away. Now we have Julie Baxley who said, hey Jess, absolutely love your podcast. I'm wondering what to do when you have to accomplish something that you're feeling resistance to. I'm currently a senior in college and I know my major isn't flowing with me, but I'm so close to finishing that I feel like I have to just push through. Going to school makes me feel so anxious and overwhelmed because I know I'm not following my intuition. How do I stay motivated and engaged at school when I feel so much resistance to it? Do you have any advice for doing something that you really don't want to do, but know you have to just do it? I only have three weeks left but I don't want to spend that feeling like I just have to get it over with. Thanks. Oh, this is so good. I'm glad you said the three weeks is all that's left because I was just going to say, if your intuition is really telling you that this program is not right, I would really suggest writing to it and find out why and whether it is worth finishing in the first place. But given that there's three weeks, I'm guessing that it is probably still worth finishing even... I wouldn't say against your intuition. I would never say go against your intuition, but it's probably likely that there is a way of seeing this differently. So Julie, my suggestion would be write to your intuition and start with the question, how can I see this differently? It's a Course in Miracles turnaround or frame reference point that can be so powerful. So try writing to your intuition and leading with, how can I see this differently? How can I enjoy the next three weeks of this experience? Asking those questions could get you some really interesting answers from your intuition about what's right for you. 
Now we have Miss Mish, you said, can you give us a framework with some guiding questions on how to begin writing to your intuition? Your video is helpful, but I don't think this process comes as naturally to everyone. Would love some guidance to kickstart the dialogue if possible. Well, isn't this a wonderful question to follow up from that last one? So in the last example, I said, how can I see this differently is a great turnaround or a great question to start off with. Most of the time for me, I just start with whatever I really want to know the answers to. It's like having this magic eight ball or advisor that's really going to tell you what's going on internally within you. So with this Typically, I'll say, why am I so upset about blank, whatever the subject is in my head? And then 99% of the time, I'll hear my intuition's response say, because you're scared. And then I follow up with why. And when I hear the answer to that why, that's when everything starts to click in. That's when I start to get those pieces of insight and information that I was not consciously able to see before. So typically, I start with why am I upset about blank? I typically, but I will always wait to hear what the intuition is going to say. I just, over the last six or seven years of doing this, know 99% of the time, if I start with that question, fear is the reason that I'm upset about something. And finding out the follow-up why question is where all of the dialogue then unfolds. So I'll hear, because you're afraid that it's not going to work out. And I'll say, why am I afraid that it's not going to work out? So just starting with anything that you really want to know, or even just use that first one, why am I so upset or anxious or excited or worried or fearful? Any of those types of emotions you might be feeling, asking why you have that emotion is a great starting point. Now we have Liz113 who said, I sometimes struggle with how to reconcile the different teachings of so many great minds. In the last podcast, you asked Jonathan Fields for his thoughts on how a teaching of Abraham Hicks related to a certain idea. I find myself wondering about these types of connections as well, especially when my ego starts to think the teachings are contradictory and wondering which to believe. Are these teachings just different paths up the same mountain? Is there something to be said for starting with teachings that beginners can more easily relate to and working your way up to the more esoteric teachers like Eckhart and Byron Katie? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. This is a really interesting question. And I can say that I believe the teachings, generally speaking, that I have found that I resonate with have tons of overlap. Not all of them will have exactly the same perspective, but they will have lots of overlap. And I do believe they're giving paths down the same mountain, not up the same mountain, down the same mountain. But I do think they're all trying to help us with the human experience, (laughs) if you will. So in terms of the esoteric teachers like Eckhart and Byron, yeah, those people are very into being level stuff where you can find someone like Stephen Covey, for example, who's very mentally focused and doing action focused. I think that wherever you are and that whatever you're relating to, whatever you're resonating with, start there. If you love Eckhart and he's the person that lights up your life when you listen to The Power of Now or read The Power of Now, then that's what you should focus on. Whatever feels most active and alive and resonant for you as the place to begin. And it's just truly a starting point if you choose it to be, or it could be the ending point. There's no right or wrong. Someone could stay within the Christian faith or Buddhist faith or teachings, I guess, or just Eckhart, any of these people and finding deep connection to those processes could be entirely fulfilling, or it could just be a starting point to jump from that place to explore others. Of course, for myself, I love learning from all of these different places. So for me, it's a beautiful buffet, a smorgasbord of insight and information. And I love learning from all of them and then seeing how they all are overlapping and how they also have those different points of view. But ultimately for everyone that's getting started, start with what feels good and go from there. 
Now we have Lizzie number three who said, how do you quiet your ego when you are first starting out with ego versus intuition? I find myself struggling more with the ego when I'm out and about unable to write to my intuition to quiet the ego. Any tips? Love the podcast. I'd love to hear about Cape Town if it flows for you. All right, so I've shared a little bit about Cape Town in the last episode, so I will share and focus on the questions you've asked earlier. So how did you quiet your ego when you were first starting out with the ego versus intuition? I didn't have to quiet it as much as I had this openness. And I think this is something that is really hard for people to truly grasp. I had the openness to truly wait for the answers from the intuition. So when I would write down that first question, I have the ability to really quiet the mind and not listen for the ego's response and wait. That is really the truth. I think that most people struggle the most with that facet first. It's just that they want to answer with the same place that asked the question in their minds, and that's not getting them very far. So that is probably where I'm at, is that I'm able to quiet and wait like this, like that silence. I let the silence be there and then I hear, sense, or feel a response. I say that I hear something, but am I technically hearing something? No, I'm sensing it within me, usually in my stomach because I'm a gut person. So that's how I did that when I was first starting out. It wasn't that the ego wasn't there. I knew what the ego had to say about it. I just would have the ability to pause because I really had the openness to think that I might hear something where I think a lot of people's egos stop them from that first step. And then I find myself struggling more with ego when I'm out and about, unable to quiet the ego. Yeah, so also being in a quiet place when doing it is helpful. You don't have to. I've definitely been in an H&M fast and furiously typing on my notes app in my phone while suffering through some mental thing. So I can definitely do it on demand while out and about. But when you're getting started, being in a quiet place or maybe meditating beforehand or doing the writing exercise early in the morning are all great ways to get it going when things are a little calmer in terms of the ego. Now we have N. Linfield who said, hi Jess, love your work. I have a question relating to podcasting. Is there a specific place that you've learned to do it, especially developing narrative for the episodes? Or is it something you've learned as you went along? Any tips for wannabe podcasters out there? Happy travels. So as I've shared before, in terms of how to actually podcast, Pat Flynn's podcasting tutorial has been incredible. There's also a really interesting creative live class on podcasting if you want to get insights for interviewing in podcasting, which was kind of helpful. But otherwise, I've, yeah, just learned it as I've gone along. So as far as developing the narratives, especially the solo episodes, there is nothing that I've really learned in terms of just otherwise just doing it and practicing as I go. So any tips would be check out Pat Flynn's podcast tutorial for your actual tactical things of how to get it started. When it comes to asking questions in an interview, maybe checking out that creative live class about podcasting might be great. And solo shows are just kind of things that I have figured out as I've gone along. So go with your gut. Most of all, don't let the ego try to think that there's any one right way to do things. Find what works for you in that moment and keep going. Now we have Anna Bolero who said, hi, Jess, I'm loving the images you share from your trips. Really looking forward to your next vlog. Well, thank you, Anna. I appreciate that. And we'll have that for you soon. 
Now we have JL Shift 2 who said, Jess, a friend of mine has more masculine energy and is looking to bring more feminine energy to her work and interactions with others. Any tips, thanks, and loving the work you're doing. So I would suggest for your friend to read The Bingo Theory by Mimi Icon, who's been on the show before. She wrote The Bingo Theory, and I think it is a very helpful thing. Mimi herself is a masculine strength female, and it has a lot of insights into how to be a bingo, as Mimi calls it, which is a balanced masculine feminine energy person. And that will also, of course, give lots of insights into potential ways to explore the feminine. Now we have catch this mama who said, how do you beat your gremlin? You know, the person who tells you you're not good enough, smart enough, etc. I'm starting my own podcast geared specifically for moms who've overcome their adversity to reach their version of success. I love to hear from you and tell my story. I've considered submitting to your site, but then that gremlin kicks in and says, nah, she'll never choose you. I've done so much research and prep for my podcast, but keep pushing the launch date back because, well, that gremlin. Help Jess with love, Dany. Okay, so this is a great question. When it comes to the gremlin, that's what I call the ego. So what you're saying is there's a lot of ego stuff going on. How do you beat your gremlin? First of all, I don't beat my ego. I have empathy for the ego. That has been the most powerful thing for me because what I find is that when I judge or shame the ego that has that fear, then I stay stuck in the judgment, shame, and fear. It's kind of like beating yourself up with the same source that's causing the problem in the first place. For me, the handoff, if you think of it like a baton in a relay race between the ego back to the intuition, the way to shift our focus from beating ourselves up or judging ourselves like the ego is doing to go back to the intuition to me is all about empathy. Once we have that empathy, the handoff has happened, and then we can get into the perspective and the point of view of the intuition. So I would say it wouldn't be about beating up the gremlin and forcing yourself to take action anyways. It would be about having empathy for the fact that your ego is going into something unknown and the ego hates going into things that are unknown because it's scary to it. It doesn't know what the outcome will be. Even submitting to my site, the ego says that she'll never choose you. Having empathy for that fear, I think would be really powerful because it doesn't mean you're still not going to take action anyways. It's just saying, I see you, I hear you, I understand that this is scary for you and I'm still going to take action, but I do see, hear, and understand that it's scary. That's okay. We can do hard things. This is possible. We'll see what happens. That kind of thing calms the ego down instead of riling it up further. Often what we resist persists. So trying to resist the ego versus having empathy for it, I think ends up keeping us more trapped than kind of giving it a back massage and kind of letting its tension release through understanding and appreciation. So that's my answer there. Next up, we have Jacqueline Marie W. He said, hi, Jess. I've been thinking a lot lately about the problem with should. I find myself constantly giving myself a lot of shoulds. I should do the dishes. I should pack my lunch. I should call my mom. Are these constant reminders needed or are they stopping flow from happening? Any advice on how to stop shooting all over ourselves if it's not productive? Oh, I love this question. As I'm sure you know, I love talking about getting rid of the shooting all over ourselves. So... I love the question of, are these constant reminders actually needed? I don't think that they are needed. I think Eckhart, especially, I think of him when I am hearing this question, I think of him saying, you know, psychological fear is not necessary. Common sense will tell you not to touch the stove. You don't need to have a psychological fear around stoves to not burn yourself. So it's common sense if there's something that you want to get done, like let's say you have to call a lawyer, I don't know, on your to-do list. And there's a lot of shoulding, like I should call the lawyer. Well, that's just an action that 
is common sense that you would like to do, the psychological fear, or for this to be the psychological stress or judgment around that action is not necessary. So how to stop doing it is your next question. So first, yes, I don't think the shoulds are necessary. As even Brooke Castillo said in one of her episodes here on The Lively Show, you don't even have to breathe. Everything that we're doing right now is completely voluntary. That choice to even breathe, to be alive right now is a choice. We often just take it for granted that we're making those choices. And when we do recognize that, we give ourselves the power to say that we're not at the mercy of the shoulds or the things we say we have to do. Like I should take care of my kids. She's As Brooke said, you don't have to do that. You can totally give them up for adoption. There's nothing you have to do whatsoever. And then I said, except for breathing. And she actually corrected me and said, nope, you don't even have to do that. So once we say that you don't have to do anything whatsoever, we can take that should and say, is this something I want to do or not? And if not, we can use inquiry. We can use the writing to our intuition to find out perhaps why there's resistance there and then either dissolve it understand it, transform it, or change our course of action. So if you have something that's bigger than just a little small to-do list item, or maybe the whole to-do list is something you have resistance to, once you find something that's worth inquiring about, writing to your intuition could help you get clarity on what you're doing or how can I see this differently? That's that question I said earlier. That could help you to shift the shoulds to a new perspective that actually serves you more and finds more flow within you. In addition, Jackie actually follows up. Oh, this is so cute. Jacqueline says, P.S. I went to Lisbon this summer based on your recommendation and fell in love. I'm so happy to be here about all of your travels. Well, that's amazing. I'm so glad you loved Lisbon this summer. And hey, summer in Lisbon is not a, a bad place to be. It's actually my favorite place to be in the summer. So glad you loved it. Thank you for sharing that. Now we have Dust Two Bunny who said, hi, Jess, love your show. Started listening years ago when I was driving from Las Vegas to Southern California and have been hooked ever since. I was hoping for a follow-up on how you've been feeling hormonally since embracing Elisa's advice from past podcasts. Also, do you recall the first experience writing to your intuition? Wishing you the best, Ashley. Okay, so first I'm going to talk about the intuition. Do I remember the first one? No, I don't remember the very first letter. I do probably remember the first subject. I was going through a breakup in my mid-20s. I think I was around 25 at the time. And I believe that was the first time that I started doing the writing. And I do remember not specifically, but just generally speaking, being amazed at the process and seeing how much insight I could get from something so simple as writing down questions and waiting for answers. So I don't remember specifically, but it definitely was something that made an impact on me. And then later I would remember it when I was stressing out about something else and bring it back into my life as something to process and understand in a greater way. And then I just kind of snowballed from there and started doing it more and more frequently on more and more subjects. In terms of the hormones and Elisa Vitti advice. I have had, I think I've shared this in the November favorites episode. So if you just listened to that, you've already heard this, but I've now for the first time in my life while having PCOS have had two periods, not on the birth control pill, which has been huge for me. I never had them beforehand. I went until I was 18 and then even went off the pill in my mid twenties, never getting my own normal period at all. And then it took about 11 months off the pill following some of the diet guidelines and supplements that Elisa recommended. And I've now had two. One of them was pretty long and wonky. And the last one I had was completely normal. So I can say that I'm feeling great. I think emotionally I feel great. Eating this way too, I think has a lot to do with that. I think eating and what you 
you put in your body has a lot of effect in terms of your irritability emotionally as well. So if your digestion system is irritated, I think that there is some drain emotionally too. I know that's a little bit crazy, but I've seen that to be possibly the case for myself. And besides the acne, that's kind of the one thing that I'm still thinking my hormones are sorting through is getting really back into a really maybe, or for the first time getting into a completely hormonally balanced place that will hopefully course correct this acne situation. But in addition, of course, I'm doing supplements and taking all of the things that I can do like facials with specialists that are really focused specifically on acne and that kind of thing to help it in the meantime too. So besides the acne thing, I could say I feel fantastic. That's the only thing that's been difficult as a 32-year-old to deal with, but it's obviously not impossible. And I'm really in alignment with my values in terms of trying to heal my body naturally than through medicine. So so far, that's pretty much where I'm at. Now we have Pure Personal Power who said, Hi Jess, thank you for all of the inspiration you put out there. I have a friend traveling to Cape Town alone for the first time in a couple of weeks. What would be your best tips for meeting up with people, feeling safe, and finding the best things to do there? Some general advice to finding community while traveling alone. Lots of love, Helena. This is really interesting because I found tons of community here in Cape Town and I didn't try at all. So I don't have any tactical advice. There's probably meetup groups and stuff like that. I've definitely asked travelers before and other places how to meet people. But generally speaking, I think going to places and asking what the Wi-Fi password is and opening that as a way of making conversation is huge. In terms of Cape Town, another way to meet people is to go to the bar slash restaurant slash coffee shop, yours truly on. Kluf. I'm saying that probably wrong, but Kluf, if you look at it as an American, K-L-O-O-F, there is an there's a hostel right next door called Once, and so there's a lot of travelers in that area, and a friend of mine that I met on my flight recommended that as a place for me to go and meet people, and though I was only there for a very brief time, I totally did meet someone that was traveling and was up for talking. Actually, no, he wasn't even a traveler. He was a local, but I think that going to places like Yours Truly, which happens to be next to a restaurant or a hostel that has travelers is a cool way to meet people that are likely doing something similar. Not that locals aren't also super friendly. I've also happened to fall into groups through the Airbnb host that I had welcomed me into their lives. Now that's only happened a very few handful of times with Airbnbs, but that has happened in this situation too. So I would say being open, being friendly, being chatty, going with your gut, of course, and being safe with things that don't feel safe for you. That's pretty much my suggestions. Openness, asking the question, what's the Wi-Fi password or where are you from? And that sort of thing is really helpful. Then last but not least, we have Kelly Shaw Martin who said, hi, so I just know you can help me straighten this out. LOL, I'm struggling with living intentionally versus flowing. I love the idea of both, but keep finding myself putting them at odds with each other. Like when I'm living intentionally and doing things to support my uppercase V values, I'm not flowing and I'm sometimes too overscheduled. And when I'm flowing, I can find myself getting anxious that I'm not being intentional. Am I making this too black and white? Can you talk more about how these two work together? Thank you, said Kelly. Oh, I love this question. I think that it's all contextual in the present moment, what feels right for you given the current circumstances. That is also why I have a new course coming out next year. So there'll be flow with intention and life with intention offered at the same time so that people, depending on their preference or which if let's say they've already taken life with intention and want to learn the other flow with intention approach, they'll have that in their toolkit as well. Both are paths down the mountain. It's just about which one you feel like applying in the present moment and feels most right for you. There also of course is overlap, but one is offering 
direction in terms of the values and you're deciding based on that what you would like to do. The other is getting direction based on a more woo-woo out there, what feels right, what is offered to me in this present moment. How can I let go of resistance to what is unfolding here? That's kind of sometimes at different odds with it. And that's why I'm not combining the courses because there's too much A to share in one course with both of those approaches, but also the people that are especially aligned with the values-based intention thing may be less interested in trying the flowy approach that might seem a little bit too out there. So I would say for you, if you're open to doing both, keep practicing and keep observing, but also just keep asking your intuition which one is the one that works for you right now. I don't have an answer that's the end all be all for every situation. I think it's very contextual. It's all about where you are in that present moment and what your intuition feels most comfortable doing next. Sorry if that seems a little bit vague, but inquiry from your intuition, of course, is going to be hugely helpful and really get to the bottom of things much more than me giving you this fake sort of like, this is the answer in all circumstances. It's all about context. And even in one area of your life, you can really lean on the values. And in another, you can really look for the flow or even combine the two. So I have the value of exercising at the pleasure of my soul in the present moment, what flows in my circumstances. For example, I gave my tennis shoes and running shoes away in Ghana. So for the last two weeks, I have not had running shoes. So going with the flow has looked like doing a lot of walking and shoes I can walk in doing a hike that I could do in the espadrilles that I had, but it didn't look like running a lot of miles because I didn't have the shoes. Instead, I ordered the shoes I wanted to get and I had them shipped to Boston, so I'll have them now. But while I didn't have them, it didn't flow to do exercise in a running context, but I was still able to live the values given the current circumstances, and I just went with the flow of that at the same time. And each day I would do what felt right given that day, that time, and that moment. And there you have it, guys. Those are my answers to your questions. Thank you so much as always. I love answering these questions and I hope you've enjoyed this and gotten something from it that you can benefit from. And if you think that there's something that has been shared here that's gonna resonate with someone else you know, feel free, of course, to share it with them too. If you wanna find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Cinnamon Lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com. Before I share where I'm headed to next, I'd like to take a bit to talk about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. As you guys know, bookkeeping, when it comes to bookkeeping in my life, FreshBooks is my favorite thing. It actually still is my favorite app Besides Slack, I think that they're probably tied as my two favorite business apps of all time. And FreshBooks make and FreshBooks makes my bookkeeping a cinch. I even have a bookkeeper now who is helping to keep track of everything and she has been going through FreshBooks and it's been so fascinating to see her get it all whipped up in shape and get everything ready for my tax season that's coming at the end of this year. And working with her within FreshBooks has been so easy because FreshBooks really does make your bookkeeping that simple. If you have your own business online and you have bookkeeping and you don't like it, or maybe you're using Excel, please give FreshBooks a try. I have a 30-day free trial for you over at freshbooks.com slash lively. So you can go there and give it a shot. Find out if it works for you. If you love it as much as I do, I hope you do. I think it's like Facebook for bookkeeping. It's so simple and intuitive. It's kind of like you're using a social media platform, but you're actually taking care of one of the most important parts of your business, your income. 
And there you have it. For where I'm headed to next, I'm going to be in London next week. I can't believe it. I'm going to be there for the holiday season right up until right before Christmas. And then I will go back to the States to spend time with my family there in Austin, Texas. So London's up next. Haven't been there in the winter season, but so excited to see it. And yes, for those that live in the UK, I do think I'll be having a meetup. So stay tuned on Instagram at Jess C. Lively to find out when and where that will be. I'll be sharing more details once I have it set. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.